maybe just anything that way. What I like to appreciate here is to be also the diversity uh, that uh, you know, this group represents uh, from regional perspective and backgrounds and experiences. And so uh, this is what we try here to, to leverage uh, and to transfer that to uh, into the investment world. Because we are strong believers that you can create this additional return for our base. I think that also my, my conviction uh, if we put some hard work into something. Uh, not necessarily that I think it was a 20,000 hour rule or whatever that, that was, but uh, having the sense of what you're doing and why you're doing it, and, and also having the persistence uh, to uh, to hold on to that, it's something I think is valuable. And so having a group of people who live those values um, and let alone other values, which I think also very important. We touched upon that at the dinner yesterday. I think it's also a very important aspect that it's really a group of like minded people and driven by the same, uh, same values. And, uh, but Hopefully, not only the internet as much money as possible, but also other things. Thank you. Mine will be very brief. Um, I would just reflect on uh, the sixth New York Global Conference and flagship events that we do in New York are really the best of 361 firm um, because we bring together, uh, as everybody has mentioned already, uh, so many people, so many friends with common interests. Uh, and, you know, it's really a kind of the cultural paradigm of what we do. Uh, we do other things as well, obviously, through the investment plan, but um, just the, the act of getting together uh, is really important to us as the partners of 361. Uh, we hope you agree, and it's always good to be with you here in New York on, on what we consider to be our long term. So, welcome. So, with, with that, uh, I'm going to hand off to Mary Sarah with the family office. She moderated this panel last year and uh, she did a good enough job. <laughs> Over to you. Thanks, Mark, for having me back. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm so happy to see this room full. Um, you, you guys are going to have a treat. I have some really impressive people over here. And we're going to talk about public markets. We're going to talk about global allocations and emerging markets. Um, my name is Mary D'Souza. I'm the CIO of Misha Investments, a single family office. Uh, I'm a senior advisor at Submodel Capital and on the board of um, Southern Ag, a trucking company. These nice little Southern boys gave me a board seat. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and two nonprofits. Uh, one is Community Access and the other one is Working Nation. With that, I'll turn it over to the panelists and they'll introduce themselves. Thank you very much, Mary. Uh, I have not been to this particular version of 361 before, but I have known Mark for definitely over 20 years. So I guess I qualify as an old timer. Anyway, very nice to see everybody. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Roberta Brzezinski and I'm an emerging markets private equity investor currently involved in both private and public equities. And what we said we were gonna do is talk a little bit about our investment philosophy. So. Um, what I do is I run a vertical that uh, looks at uh, uh, transparent, good, uh, well-run, and uh, growing and cash flow positive emerging markets originating companies that we believe could make good uh, public market candidates in a developed market exchange, whether the U.S., probably just the U.S., because all the other exchanges are kind of crappy right now. Um, so we are kind of out uh trolling the world for interesting companies and why do we do this and why do i do what i do i've been doing some version of this for over 20 years um, because we believe that emerging markets and i know there's a lot of people in this room 
that have some background in emerging markets or they're personally from an emerging market. You know, emerging markets have been kind of starved of access to capital for a long time, really since the global financial crisis, with the possible exception of China for a period of time. Let's leave that aside. It's kind of come and gone. But, uh, you know, because U.S. Uh, financial engineering and the private equity space look so compelling to institutional investors, you know, people stop looking at these markets. There's some great companies run by great people that deserve our capital. And that's my investment philosophy. Thank you. And, and you beat then in Poland. I did. Which is great. And we're also looking at Eastern Europe again. Yes. And we need to talk about that today because so are we. Yeah. That was great. Um, I know I met some of you uh, at the conference in Naples. So thanks, Mark, for inviting me back. Um, I know last time. did a good enough job. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And the last time you also mentioned that, I don't know, I opened the eyes of people on how we use AI. Yeah. And in our Trisha, process. Give me Trisha, AI file. Oh, great. She talked about what you're doing. Awesome. Um, so hopefully this time I'll talk about something else that's different and new. And so for those I haven't met before, uh, my name is Dee Sharma. I work at a little known firm called BlackRock, uh, but I work in a little known part of BlackRock, uh, which is as an LP. Within a, within an asset manager, so I'm in our outsourced CIO business, and what that really means is we act as the investment team on behalf of what used to be uh, largely focused on defined benefit pensions, but over the last five six years has expanded to include family offices and dominant foundations. Uh, we work with over 150 institutions globally, uh, so I'm, I'm in a global role. My focus is on manager selection, so we look for you know, the best managers and best opportunities, um, you know, regardless of where you are on behalf of the institutions that you work with. And I think in terms of investment philosophy, so I'll start out right by saying, since you're recording this, is my view, these are my views, these are not my firm's views, please don't attribute me, don't get me in trouble. Um, but my investment philosophy has really been focused on, um, you know, how do we invest in the new regime versus kind of the period of great moderation? So there's a lot that we are evaluating when it comes to the asset allocation that we'll talk about, evaluating in terms of how we can select the managers, you know, where there are sources of data in private markets, which I think is where a lot of people are allocated versus what are going to be the new sources of alpha. How do you make sure that you're not over diversified when you're going out and you get a number of deals? Um, so those are kind of some of the topics that I'm really focused on you know, defining and designing portfolios that include a lot of GPs where you can actually show your conviction and have a few good deals. So in the, you know, in the, in the words of kind of the Berkshire Hathaway um, luminary, who we've, I've been reading all the quotes, um, you know, simplicity is key. So keep it simple. That's my investment philosophy. And, you know, that's, that's how you really get to um, a good outcome. Thank you. <laughs> Stephen Burke, I'm new to the 361 community. Thank you for me Mark. Our philosophy at ARS, uh, but before I start, if I say anything that's right, that's ARS's house view. If it's wrong, it's mine. That's our <laughs> internal policy for this. Um, and our good philosophy, policy, by the way. Really uh, good policy. Yeah. And our philosophy at ARS of investing is we try and buy the most assets, earnings, and cash flow with the fewest dollars. And the company is going to be the beneficiaries of global capital flows. So we're really trying to pick the winners, the industries that are going to win and find the undervalued businesses that are going to uh, get supported by the global tailwinds. We're investors, not traders. So we're looking out uh, really from a 
thematic perspective, we're looking out for the next three, two to three years. From a security perspective, we're really looking at 12 to 18 months. So it's a bit of a different approach and uh, that takes us away from where the most managers are. And as David say, 90% of the managers you see is all have the exact same portfolio and you really wanna be investing in the 10% that aren't. And that's where we're focused. Thank you, Stephen. So I'll, I'll start from the globe and then move. So I'll start with you, Deepika, because you know you do global allocations. Yeah. So maybe you can touch a little bit on on st state of that, and uh, and also talk about what you learned from twenty twenty three. And you know we are at year end, and so you're probably deciding what what you want to allocate in for twenty twenty four. Yep. So we look forward to year. I think it'll be really interesting for all of us, especially for us, because we do public as well as private. So we can learn a lot, lot from you. So yeah, I mean, the, the last few weeks have been interesting with all our GPs and, and banks that we follow have been publishing their outlook. So I've basically been spending my time reading all the outlooks. And um, I think one of the things that I found particularly interesting is, you know, around this time last year, and even in June, uh, there was so much fear in the markets. So we were, you know, there was still a high probability of recession. If you look at Bloomberg right now, it's still like 54%, although the bank views have come out to be much lower. Uh, we were still a lot more worried about inflation and rate hikes. Um, I think what we are focused on right now and what, what I think about is, you know, when, when I look at these outlooks is what are people telling me that is a structural change and what are people telling me that's a cyclical change? Um, and I think a lot of what is cyclical is really a matter of being unwound as part of the supply shocks, um, or you know, kind of the the response of consumers to what's happening in the markets. I mean, the housing market is frozen. That's going to change, but a lot of that is cyclical. Versus when we think about long-term investing, what do you structurally expect? Slower global growth, uh, structurally stickier inflation, even though that may come down, and then structurally higher rates. And then how do you create your portfolio to be in line with that? Um, and I think, you know, one of the kind of areas that's being well talked about is the traditional way of allocating is no longer going to work. So we have been updating a lot of uh, what we think about, you know, especially when it comes to kind of that higher for longer. So like the way, like I, I found this term, which was like higher resting heart rate of the economy um, and for inflation relative to prior years. So you're going to have to account for that. And something that we are changing uh, is distinguishing between the beta opportunities, so 90% of the managers versus the alpha opportunities, and specifically in private markets. So uh, we did a study where we looked at, you know, like the um, one of the indices, best indices for private market GPs is the Cambridge US Private Equity Index. If you look at its success returns versus, versus Russell Group 3000, this makes last one, three, five years declining outperformance from the traditional PE. Um, a lot of the PE outperformance came from multiple expansions. So we are really focused on value creation, more idiosyncratic um, investments, looking at opportunistic direct co-investing, you know, for a larger portion of the portfolio. The advantage of that is you you do like on a we calculated on a hundred million portfolio, if you do 20% co-invest, you're saving close to three and a half million in uh, fees and carry interest over the lifetime of your investment. So, you know, there are ways, especially with the fundraising environment right where it is, um, to really think about, you know, be, be smarter, like access to secondaries that are trading at 20% discount, uh, rather than doing primary deals. So that's where a lot of our time is focused. And then another piece I'll mention is, um, you know, the importance of dynamism. So 
we uh, we had at least at BlackRock our own uh, Outlook uh, meeting of the two-day meeting. And then one of the things that was presented is kind of the importance of rebalancing more frequently. So this is across public markets where, you know, if you did rebalance more frequently in the last 15 years prior to 2000, it actually didn't matter. Uh, your, you know, no rebalance portfolio versus semi-annual uh, versus annual rebalance portfolio gave the same return over a long period of time. That has actually changed in the last three years. So, you know, and we we did a survey of 120 single family offices uh, that we published recently. And one of the findings was that that's across the board that uh, family offices are reviewing portfolios and positions more frequently. 76% responded that, you know, they are uh, looking to change uh, more frequently. And then there's also a matter of, you know, going and listening to the contrarian views. So one of the reasons I'm here is also I want to hear contrarian views. Um, and we're seeing that even in the survey, I think over 60% um, of the family office responding that they were actually going out to peer networks and external partners to find and, and seek more input into how they were investing. So, you know, overall, I think, you know, what's really kind of, what you really learned from the mistakes is, you know, don't just trust a single source of ideas. Mm -hmm. You need to trust multiple sources of ideas. So like these conversations that peer networks have going to become a lot more important. You need a lot more dynamism. So you can be slow and steady with the with the race. Like mm -hmm. it will be in the matter of how um, responsive you are to the different opportunities. Thank you. Um, so Steve, maybe we can touch on the public markets and uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview on what's happening in the public markets right now and what you're afraid of in terms of the global economy. Thank you. Thank you. So I think let's start with the global economy. We'll get to the public markets. I think uh, the big issues come down to what happens in the U.S. and China. And to be blunt about it, uh, Europe as well. I think uh, when you look at the three, the U.S. is clearly the standout uh, economy in terms of where we are. A lot of that has to do with some bad policies that we put in place, as well as some good ones. So some of the Inflation Reduction Act and some of the other things are good, solid policies put in place way too late. We did it at 5% interest rates, not at zero. Um, so big waste of capital. And I think that misallocation of capital that we've seen by governments is going to be one of the things that has to be unwound and we're going to be dealing with for some time. So I think that's one of the issues. And I think as the government debts are so high, it's going to crowd out essential spend, which is going to drag out a lot of the transitions we have to make to improve the global economy. So whether it's climate change or whether it's uh, getting our grid up to uh, all that, it's going to be dragged out even further because the governments are out of cash and they can't keep increasing their debt loads because of the 5% interest rate uh, environment we're in. And in the U.S., we're closing in on, uh, what is it, 7 or 8% of GDP is going to interest costs. That's way too high for, for us to move forward. So that's one of the big issues. I'm really worried about Europe and how that program, how the European Union uh, manages its way through the, the current challenges that they have and, and does it hold. Um, and I'm, that is a concern of mine uh, as you see the elections that have come out lately. So uh, that would be one. And I think lastly, I, obviously we're worried about the wars. It feels like uh, that none of the countries really want to take it to the, to the next, next level, um, particularly China, Iran, and the U.S. So that dialing down and, and calming down some of those issues I think it's going to be one of the things that will drive a lot of investment strategies going forward. The one fear I have with that is around that 
you're going to see countries like China and Russia playing the waiting game to see how the U.S. election plays out if they can and how things evolve in Europe, because the longer it goes on for Russia, the less likely yeah. uh, the support stays. And, and that's a big problem for the world, in my view. Um, I think what's gone in the Middle East is actually seems to be right now stabilizing, which if it stays contained, I think that allows us to move forward. And uh, right after the war broke out, there was an event in New York. And I saw Todd and I said to Todd Rupert, what do you think about this? And he said, uh, I'm not doing anything different. And we talked about it. We decided don't do anything different, but think about the world differently. And I think that's how you have to view the risk level on that. So I think those are the things we're worried about. And then the last thing is unemployment, which has been uh, very low around the world. And it's been one of the surprises. And I think uh, when uh, Mark Lepresti was raising how the, how the consumer's been so strong, I think there's two reasons for it. One is unemployment is at ridiculously low levels, and that can move pretty quickly the other way. And we're starting to see that with layoff announcements. So that's one of the things to keep an eye on. I think the other one is you have the baby boomers retiring with massive wealth, 70 trillion or more, and they're not slowing down their spending because they don't have to right now. So I think that's the put and take on the consumer right now that we have to keep an eye on. Uh, so that's where we say from the global side. In the public markets, we see a number of opportunities, but not in the things that everyone's focused on. Um, obviously, the banks you need to have if you're in the public markets to even stay in the game uh, if you're not well represented in the banks. But we see big opportunities in the industrial metals area and the things that are going to drive the infrastructure build out, the reindustrialization of the global economy. Those are the big themes that we see. You can play out, will play out for a couple of years. And even though some of them haven't worked, like the industrial metals, copper, and like have come in a lot, that's more due to the China reopening than the demand story. So I think if you're looking at your toes, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. If you look down the road, you're going to be a lot better off in investing. And 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 just just to add to that, right? Um, if, if if you look at all the stocks, all the quality stocks are all hitting an all time high. So if you had stayed out of the market and you decided at some point you're going to get in. There's no, there's no time to get in right now, right? I, I just wanted you guys to quickly touch on that, and then I'm going to hand, uh, hand it over to Roberta. Uh, well, I, I think, I think, I think the numbers show timing is exceptionally hard. Um, so I think you keep your core positions as core, and you trade around the fringes, and then you take what the market gives you in this environment. So we had big moves led this year up in the fangs. This is the time to start preparing back some of those exposures, but not giving up your core position and then take what the market gives you on the downside too. You had things pulling back massively and one day moves of 25% on, on mega cap stocks is really unusual. So you got to take what the market's giving you there. So I think it's a balance uh, is how it focuses. Yeah, and I'll add the new term MAG7, um, you know, so, I mean, I've looked at a lot of studies around concentration versus diversification. It happens in cycles. So there have been cycles, like when you look at the entire history of the stock market where, I mean, and it was a while back, like, you know, when markets got misconcentrated, but it always comes back. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I look at, you know, and I think the other flip side of the argument is we were kind of having the same conversation six months ago where we said all these valuations for NVIDIA don't really make sense. Um, but I think a big part of it is like, you know, if, as 
if we continue to believe in disinflation, if we continue to believe that there will be rate cuts next year, that is going to be positive. And, and, and innovation, right? Yeah. I mean, NVIDIA is where it is because of innovation. We keep constantly innovating. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. view is that other players are going to yeah. are seeing that and they're already coming to market. And it's really about like how wide is their economic mode. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's definitely part of it. Thank you. So, so that was really interesting. Deepika, thank you. And, and Steve, thank you. And we don't touch on emerging markets often enough. So, so this is going to be really interesting and, you know, delightful to hear from you uh, in terms of, you know, what you guys are doing in emerging markets and is it a good time to get into emerging markets? People don't hear enough about emerging markets. <laughs> no one really gives a crap about emerging markets. <laughs> let's, be, let's be real. But so the question is, you know, what can emerging markets do for us here in the United States? That really has to be the question. So I myself spent a career in living in or working in all the key uh, regional markets around the world. Uh, so, but now I'm here. I'm here. I run a, a NASDAQ listed SPAC. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm here. I'm in the U.S. public markets. The question is, again, what do emerging markets have to offer U.S. investors? Any developed market investors, any, you know, ultra high net worth investors, everybody who, you know, can pick and choose between assets, right? So, um, and I think to answer that question, we need to answer the question, do we have an economy of hope or do we have an economy of fear right now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill's and, survey showed it. And right. Roberta, you're doing God's good work. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, one of the other things I have learned a lot about the last couple of years are SPACs, which probably we'll talk about here, but it's actually a really interesting question. So, um, you know, when you had a kind of, uh, uh, a sustained bull market, and you've got a lot of companies that are, you know, essentially many of the power point companies, but in really important cool sectors like e mobility, like anything to do with climate, like all kinds of different stuff, like fintech, you know, financial, really impactful themes. Then you, uh, these companies were primarily starting to come to the market through these public structures. So kind of almost skipping, skipping some VC or having some early VC and then going right to the public markets. But the public markets, having been affected by all these other things, meant that the IPO market, as I'm sure everybody in this room is aware, essentially has been shut for like 15, 18 months. Uh, what, what what are the markets that you find the most exciting? What are you most This is the only market that's exciting. Okay. What, like I said, what can an emerging market company do here in the US? So an emerging market company that has a global, globalizable business model, an emerging market company that came up with a great technology like Kaspersky, you know, whatever. There's plenty of these examples uh, where, you know, uh, brilliant emerging market scientists, if you will, or entrepreneurs who came up with a business model or service or product which can work around the world. We've been looking at a bunch of different climate-related uh, related, uh, companies. But in any case, it needs to work here. It needs to be, these need to be companies that are offering something that people want in the developed world. Because the developed world is the dog and emerging markets, if you will, are the tail when it comes to yeah. new product development. So that's what we do. We're kind of uh, showing the two things, look at the two things together, emerging markets and developed markets. And to do that, you really have to look at what's happening in the stock market today, which things have to change in 2024. And I think they will. Thanks, Roberta. I, I just wanted to quickly touch the bigger. I think a lot of people in this room want to hear how you evaluate managers. And are you still using ChatGPT? <laughs> <laughs> no, was never using ChatGPT, but more, more to AI than ChatGPT. So I'll just, I'll just stop there, and we'll have a conversation later. Um, but so I think you know, kind of, I think Steven said it really well, which is 
is the 10% that, that what you look for. So, I mean, look for differentiation, you look for um, persistence and, you know, the, the strategy and the theme, like why is it going to last? Why is it going to deliver alpha? Um, one, because we have limited time, like I'll give you an example where, you know, your asset allocation can actually not serve you well. Uh, we did a study recently of the endowment model 1.0, uh, David Swenson, rest in peace. But we looked at kind of how you know the endowments that are covered in the Google survey have done over the years. One um, is that size really matters. So larger endowments that have the expertise, right? Teams that are able to go and do better are you know more well suited. They're getting ideas from a lot of different places. I think the second thing we found is um, a lot of the endowments actually invest 40 to 50 percent in private markets. There were a lot of managers, 10 to 20 managers underlying 100 plus deals. When we compare that in terms of exposure to economic growth and inflation, the portfolio was no better than a 60-40. So, you know, making sure you understand where our economic exposures are coming from is really, really important. So we look for that um, when selecting GP. So it's not just about, are you the best in what you do, but it's also about how do you fit in a portfolio? Because for you to get in, something else has to get out. So it's always a relevant coverage. Thank you, Deepika. And uh, just one of Stephen, to quickly touch on um, what what you're investing in right now. What what are you finding most attractive? So what we've said with the uh, energy theme, we like both fossil fuel and the renewable side. Both the renewable side, we're, we're out of right now because of the valuations. We, got, we made our money and took off before they started dropping. Um, we like the defense industry. Uh, national security is not going to get any less of a problem uh, in our view. So uh, the top five U.S. defense companies you can buy that Total market, they have a total market cap of uh, less than $750 billion. And they are arguably the most, five most important, or five of the seven most important defense companies in the world. Um, we like the industrial metals seal in, uh, in the US. We have a massive infrastructure rebuild that's going to continue to go on for the next decade that the government's backing. So you can make a lot of money in that area. And the industrial metals that are essential for all these transitions that we're trying to do are down a lot this year, but they're in uh, uh, way out of whack on the supply-demand dynamics going forward. So those are the areas that we really focus on. Obviously, you need to be in the tech space, but tech to us is getting more uh, about not oh, tech value, for tech yeah. sake, but how companies are using yeah. tech to improve, improve productivity. And that's really what we're focused on. And tech. so it could be industrials, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of the industrial companies that Parker had yeah. uh, eaten, those companies are big on the electrification that's going on, too. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Roberta, any, any last minute thoughts or remarks from you on the emerging markets? Uh, well, maybe not in emerging markets, but just generally, I, uh, I give you a shout out for uh, looking at manager selection. I would just remind all uh, manager selectors that you know that um, having innovation in a private equity portfolio is so, so hard to do. The, the smart money and endowments and foundations does go out and find kind of those new managers uh, and new managers. It's a wide-eyed question. Really. New managers versus kind of old-line managers. You guys researching that? What the you know what the returns look like? Uh, just curious.